Let's go to Numbers chapter 13. I want to tell you, this chapter, if you've come to St. Louis Family Church for any length of time, you've heard me reference this chapter on a number of occasions. It's very, I feel, a very pivotal and quite important uh, snapshot, this chapter, in Jewish history and in human history and for us to see this moment in history documented the way it is, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not mythology, it's not embellished, it's not exaggerated, it's not lore, it's the word of the Lord, it's truth. And therefore, we can see the beauty of it. If it were just history, it would be great and worthy of celebration. But it also reveals God's characteristics and a pattern, and it also underscores what God is looking for in our response to his faithfulness. Now, before we read from chapter 13, I want you to look with me at chapter 15 of Numbers, and actually I'm going to look at chapter 14, and I want you to see this verse that describes God's servant Caleb. Chapter 14, verse 24. Anybody ever hear of Joshua and Caleb? Uh, they were the two out of the whole generation that, of, under Moses that made it into the transition from, the, from Egypt to the wilderness and then into the promised land. So they are actually uh, worthy of discussion and they are exemplary in the outcome of their life. And if they were here, they would say, listen, man, it was the grace of God. They would say it wasn't formulaic, it wasn't due to some kind of skills set on our part, and they would, they would want to clarify that. Yet they would, they would also underscore how faithful God was to them. It says in verse 24, chapter 14, But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit, has followed me fully, and I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. That's strong. Now that's preceded by the rebukes. The Lord is, the people that came back with the evil report didn't make it past one week. So this underscores an important responsibility on our part of whether, not that we're going to be so much pessimistic or, or optimistic, but if we're going to be trusting God in spite of it all and therefore consistent with that or in unbelief or doubt or inconsistent. So, so Numbers chapter 13, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan. Now, a lot of people would wonder, why did, was Moses in unbelief to send the people out to spy out the land? God had already told him that it was a land flowing with milk and honey and that, it, that he, there were gonna be enemies there. Uh, no, it, it, Moses wasn't in unbelief. Moses was in obedience because it starts out with the Lord spoke to Moses and told him to do it. And so right off the bat, what we see here is the practicality of assessment. Um, you consider a field before you buy it. There are builders and there are people in here, contractors, developers, bankers. There are people in here that have uh, due diligence responsibilities, real estate people, um, where you have to, you buy a property, you have to do a soil sample, you have to prove that there's not, for example, an abandoned uh, uh, submerged uh, gas tank that breached and that there's, uh, 
you know, petroleum uh, pollutants all around, or that if you're from St. Louis, that Russell Bliss didn't swing by here with a cigar in his mouth and spray some spray on his way to Times Beach. If you don't know that, that's an inside joke. It's not very funny. But the point is, you got to consider a field before you buy it. You know, there's value in courtship because you date someone and you then get to delve into each other's personalities beyond the surface. You know, it's not just speed dating. You, you kind of, hey, I'm, I'm investigating to see uh, whether or not there's enough compatibility here for us to make a, a life of it, uh, to make a long-haul life of it. Um, and so... This is, in fact, what God is instructing Moses to do. And I believe God is continually instructing us along these lines to um, be considerate of some things and kind of be, be assessing all the time, like through the course of our lives. And then this will help us. Uh, this will prevent us from getting an autopilot. This will prevent us from leaning on our own understanding. This will prevent us from boredom. This will deliver us from boredom because God is going to keep saying, hey, check this out. Uh, and, and, you know, like there's a case, occasion where Joshua said, we've never passed this way before. This is what I love about this life. It, is it, it's not just monotony. It's not just routine. It's not just mundane. It's actually beautiful. Yeah. Even with all of its flaws, even with the fact that the world's fallen. Yeah. I, I am not an idealist. Uh, I'm a realist, but in my realism, because it's, it's based on the word of God, it gives me hope. I have a lot of joy, and uh, this will prevent you from being burned out. This will help you from being cynical, and so God's telling Moses after he's been through so many things, hey, man, I want you to pick people from the tribes and check out the land, and so then it names off these guys um, in from verse uh, uh, 4 all the way through to verse 16. And it gets in there, there's Caleb and there's Joshua. They're the names of these other guys from all the tribes. And these are leaders, these are important people, these are perspective people, these are warriors, these are people who have been through things. And so it's really a kind of a cautionary tale here. And it's also a good admonition of what to do, what not to do kind of a scenario here. Okay, are you with me? Yeah. So here's Moses being told by the Lord to tell the people, to go and check out the promised land. Now this is literal, this happened in history to the Jewish people, and they're still abiding in that little hub on the Mediterranean called Israel. They got a land, God told Jacob, hey look, the land you're laying on is gonna be yours and your descendants, and it's come to pass. We see wonderful things in our lifetime, indicators of the fulfillment of these biblical Hebrew prophecies. And so then, that literally happened, but then uh, uh, in, a, in an, amazing parallel, we can look at these, step back and see the patterns of God urging us to assessment, urging us to evaluate and consider the field before we buy it, be prepared. I'm going to teach on Sunday about readiness and preparation. I feel led to do that, so we're going to do that. I'm going to, we're going to study on, on readiness together. I'm going to do that. We're going to do that. But with this, I want you to identify with the good report and really get an adamant resistance to embracing the bad report. You know, a few years ago there was a bad economy and I heard a story of two business friends that were high-level mover-shaker types and, and, the, and this guy's, this relationship that started to get altered because one of his friends just kept 
every time they get together, uh, reiterating how bad everything was. And finally, the other guy said, man, you got to quit doing presentations on why everything's failing. It was like he was doing a PowerPoint on all the bad stuff, and he was doing it with excellence. And the other guy, it was starting to affect his, his heart. You know, he was starting to be discouraged by it. And that, in fact, is what happened here. The hearts of the people melted because of the bad report, but then also the hearts of the people that heard the good report burned with the blazing hope and faith that can come from the good report. So whose report will you believe? There's a song, we'll believe in the report of the Lord. And, um, you know, to who, who has believed the, the Lord's report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And the answer is the same people. You believe in, the, in God's word and God's will and God's plan, inevitably and eventually, some pretty amazing things are going to come to pass. Hold your place, please, in Numbers 13, because I'm going to come back and highlight some things. Hebrews 11, verse 1 through 3, and then verse 6. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So if you're going to live a life of faith, it has an upturn of assurance. It maintains an assurance, blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Of the things hoped for, how many of you have hopes and aspirations and dreams? How many of you have hopes to have breakthrough and answers to prayer and success in life and your kids to have, be gainfully employed and make good choices and marry the right people and live in the right places and experience the joys of living? How many of you want to see that? I do. And, and how many of you, uh, when, you got, when you were born, you said, man, I, my goal is to be mediocre? Not one of us. We are designed by God and for God, and it's, he's only glorified in that we bear much fruit. So it's completely appropriate to be extravagant in your confidence in God's visions and dreams for your life. I don't mean unrealistic. I don't mean just, you know, blabbing a bunch of stuff. I mean making sure things are biblical making sure things line up with God's will for your life, but, uh, but, but really trusting God. If you're musical, pray God uses your music. If you're creative, pray, I pray God uses your creativity. If you're mathematical, I pray you have amazing experience with that logic and that development of your mind. You know, uh, if, you, if you're verbal, I pray God uses you to speak edification and uplift and brightness to people. You know, if you're a thinker, I pray you ponder things and, and get ideas that nobody's ever thought of before. If you're medical, I pray you get miracle breakthrough ideas to bring health to people and wellness to people. Hallelujah. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Yeah. And the conviction of things not seen. I'm so glad I got taught this stuff when I was a teenager because it imprinted on my life. It got in my life, and then it, I remembered my creator in the days of my youth so that when I got older and it got hard and it got sour like it did for Solomon in Ecclesiastes, I had reference points. I had bearings. I had foundation. Amen. And I love this, and I quote it often, Romans 15, 4, the things that were written in earlier times were written for our instruction. Yeah. That so through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And that, again, faith is the substance of things hoped for. You hope for your grandkids and for your children. You hope for a better tomorrow for them. You're, you're, you want them to build their floor on your ceiling. You want to lift them. 
You want them to turn out great. You're committed to it. I've watched you in your parenting. You young people, there, there's a good atmosphere and a good commitment here. There's a consistency here. And, you know, we didn't pick that we would have to go through a pandemic as a, as a church or as individuals, but, but we have. And, I, you know, the Christians during the bubonic plague had to go through that. The Christians in West Africa have been going through that with Ebola. You know, a uh, hundred years ago, even in Philadelphia, St. Louis, and places like that, they had to deal with the Spanish flu. There's some people that are still alive that lapsed through both of those pandemics. And I, I've heard them, and they both, so they survived both of them. So, you know, hallelujah. I want to hang out with them, you know. So here we are in this particular moment, looking in the Word of God, realizing that God wants us, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, I want to say what that means. It means trusting God and his promises in a practical translation in the action and activity and decision of your life. I'll tell you what it does not mean. Being flippant, being in denial, burying your head in the sand, and ignoring problems. No, we face life, but we face it with assurance of the things hoped for. We face life, but we face it with the confidence or the conviction of the things not seen. We're actually required as Christians, if we're going to really walk this out, this is why Caleb uh, pleased the Lord. He had a different spirit in him because he sought the Lord his God fully. And he trusted God. And you're going to see, and I hope I can unpack this in a way that will inspire your faith. Because it is amazing how these guys responded with the same set of circumstances, with the same assessment, with the same two eyes and brain and looking at things. And yet... How did the majority land on an evil report and how did a couple of guys maintain a good report and therefore go into and enter into the next levels of what God had for them? Well, we want to find that out, don't we? But here's what it says here. It's by faith. By faith, uh, it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But by it, the men of old gained approval. Joshua and Caleb being the men of old, some of the men of old, Moses, David, Paul, Jesus fulfilled it just amazingly. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared or framed by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things which are visible. We are required as Christians, I didn't finish this thought, what, we are to look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen, they're eternal. And we fix our hope on the living God invisible and yet real and eternal and faithful and vital, present to help in the time of need. So in verse 6 it says, without faith it is impossible to please him. Flip that. With faith it is possible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It's incomplete if you don't marry the two thoughts. It's one thing just to say, I believe in the good Lord, the man upstairs. Yeah, sometimes I pray, I believe in him. Uh, you know, the devil believes in him and he trembles and it doesn't do him any redemptive good. But we believe, therefore we speak. We speak to our mountains and command them to be removed. We prophesy to our future and trust God that he will bring to pass what he has purposed for each one of our lives since we were formed in our mother's womb. With all the trials, with all the challenges, whatever, having done all to stand, we stand. And it's vital that you understand the value of consistency. Hudson Taylor was a great missionary, and they asked him what was the secret to his success, you know. Even back in the 1800s, people were asking those kinds of questions, and he said, I learned how to plod 
P-L-O-D, plod. And uh, that isn't a very, you know, fancy pants answer, is it? But he just learned how to plod. I, I, you know, I heard a guy talk about how, you know, you get in an airplane and you fly from Manhattan to Los Angeles and uh, he goes 200 miles per hour in his prop plane. Somebody else has a prop plane. They go 500 miles per hour, but they stop at five states. He just by him with his uh, large gas tank and his commitment to the, the long haul, even though he's only going 200 miles per hour, he ends up getting there sooner. Why? Because the stops and starts take way more time than just being consistent. The famous, uh, what was it, Aesop's fable of the tortoise and the hare, was it Aesop? And just the impulse, the jackrabbit lungings, or the methodical perseverance. There's really something to be said about consistency. There's a value. There's nothing all that fancy about that. It's, it's old school, but I'm telling you, Moses believed. From the time he was little, his parents believed, trusted God so much that they put him in this little nursery basket, made it waterproof, put him in the Nile River, which no parent ever would dream of wanting to have happen with Nile crocodiles and treacherous currents, and yet trust in God. People having babies, it's like, why would anybody bring a baby into this world? Because God said, be fruitful and multiply. (laughs) And because we trust God and we have faith. And they're, they're a gift to us. You don't cap it off and stop having babies because some snipey whiners tell you not to when the word of God says be fruitful and multiply. Or because circumstances say, well, you better not do that. Well, I say that children are the heritage of the Lord and your wife is a fruitful vine and your children are olive plants around your table. Hallelujah. Just heard one right there. A talking olive plant. With faith, it can please God. With faith... There's a security. So now let's go back to Numbers 13, and I've just got just a few moments. I am doing really good, and this is going to get really strong pretty soon. I'm going to unpack some things here. Now, listen, do you have a moment to read God's Word? If you have your Bible, I'm reading New American Standard. You could read along in your NIV, New King James, or whatever you read, New Living Translation, King James. Here's what it says. Verse 17, when Moses sent them to spy the land of Canaan, he said to them, go up there into the Negev, Then go up into the hill country, see what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? You know, is the soil parched and and depleted, or is it, you know, rich and loamy and topsoil? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortification? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they wanted some fresh produce, and he said, be sure to pick up some fruit for us and bring it back. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rahab and Labo Lamath. When they had gone up into the Negev, they came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, easy for me to say, the descendants of Anak were. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Now, I had the privilege of being in Hebron last February, and the Jewish guide that was talking with our group had lived there for about 25 years. 
and his wife's knees had given out going up and down these mountainous streets and hills, so they needed to transfer to a, a more comfortable place for her, but he was a pioneer that lived there for many, many years, and while he was sharing with us about the things of God and about things out of the Bible, he, uh, at the end, saved a, like a dramatic moment, and he, he pointed to this little stone wall behind him, which I had noticed. You know, there's so many bits of archaeology there. Everything is amazing. And he said, uh, this was built right after Noah and the ark. So I just tripped out on that. I thought it was so cool. And that was Hebron. That was... Then they came to the valley of Eshkal, and from there cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and the figs. Now, I've shared this joke. It doesn't get much laughter. I think it's amazing. I made it up. When you go to the grocery store, what do they ask you? Paper or plastic, right? But in this case, they needed a pole. So we've never, at any of the grocery stores, you shop at, I shop at, paper, plastic, or do you need a pole because, because the groceries are so phenomenal that you have to have two people? I mean, I've seen people carry a piano, two people carry a piano, or two people carry a giant uh, oversized ladder or something like that, but I've never seen it necessary for one cluster of grapes to have to have two people in a pole. So what this is really saying is that was really something. Can I just let that inspire your faith about what fruit is out there for you to stay consistent and plod and press on and keep your switch of faith on and keep trusting God and keep maintaining that assurance about the things you hope for in the midst of your confounding trials, those seasons of, di of difficulty, those even depressive moments. Uh, you know, listen, man, I've, walked, I've watched people go through stuff that when just when I think I'm in the you know, state where I could be so full of self-pity and be like in a massive whining moment, I always inevitably find somebody's doing a lot better than me, so you know, then it's like, okay, and then somebody's not doing as well as me, so then I think, I'm gonna celebrate with you because you're doing better, and I'm gonna lift you up, and, and the Bible says to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That'll help us, that's one of the ways we could stay out of self-pity, all right? That's a little tidbit there for you. I'm gonna get right back to this. Now, look what it says here. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because the cluster which the sons of Israel cut down from there. Eshkol means uh, cluster. Oh, and it, you know, it's referencing the grapes. So it was a valley of, it was, must have been a vineyard, a bunch of you know, uh, beautiful grapevines. Verse 25, here's, here's the spies' report. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days... They proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them. They brought back word to them. That's why Moses, God told Moses, dispatch these people. Moses told them, assess the situation. Come back and give us a report. And they brought back word to them. So far, so good. And to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, we went in to the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. Now, so everybody say, so far, so good. The assessment is, is, is appropriate, and it's, there's, it's unanimous amongst all the 12 spies. But verse 28 is a pivot point, and it either goes down or up, depending on what side you're on with this. And here's where they, here's where they transgress. 
Here's where the bad report comes in and toxicity occurs that ultimately uh, waylays uh, ten, the 10 spies and they, they lose out and it also causes a breach amongst the whole crew. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And the, moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The, Anak, the descendants of Anak are giants. So they said, it's beautiful, it flows with milk and honey, this is its fruit, nevertheless. But my dad used to say, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. When he would tell us to do something, you know, he didn't want us negotiating with him. It's like, just get out there and do it. This is not a suggestion, this is a command. But these guys pivoted. This is a pivot point. The 10 spies went down, and this is what they started to articulate. And Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, verse 29. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Now, there's a poison that is, that is entered in. The people, the cities, the giants. The people, the cities, the giants. The people, the cities, the giants. They had been listening to Moses, they heard the word of the Lord, they, they saw the parting of the Red Sea, they experienced God's provision of manna and water in the wilderness, and they got into a place where their perspective shifted off of the promises of God and onto the problems of life. They stopped gazing at God, they started gazing at their problems and only glancing at God, and that's what caused a pivot point of darkness. That's what caused the disease of fear, doubt, and unbelief that had a crippling effect, a repercussive, terrible, historical, documented, crippling effect on a majority of people, on a generation of people. Now, remember what I said earlier. Caleb had a different spirit in him because he sought the Lord his God fully. He had a bias toward I'm going to love the Lord no matter what, no matter what anybody else says. Right. Pastor Virgil gave me uh, some, uh, some quotes from the Internet, and, and, and one of them was, you know, just about being positive, about going forward in the future, forgetting what lies behind. It's just so fundamental. It's so important. Yeah. And this is, in fact, what the first introduction of what we hear Caleb say in this chapter in verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people. Now, that means there must have been moaning, murmuring, dissent, complaining, loudness. He had to quiet the people before Moses, before he said what he was going to say. He had to quiet the unbelief result, the fear result, the, 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 the screaming, the apprehension, the disappointment, the freak out. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. Now, this is not just self-actualization hype. This is not just positive mental attitude. This is not mind over matter. This is not, I'm just an optimist, and I just, wanted, I just came back from a seminar, and I'm super optimistic. No, it's deeper and better than that. It's more available than that. It's more accessible. It's more real than that. This is not a little platitude that kind of runs out of gas and it, it, it leaks before it's finished even being said. This comes from deep-seated conviction, 
people, this guy was a man with a good report. Why? Because his reference point was beyond the, nevertheless, the people, the fortified cities and the giants. They saw the same thing. They were not in denial about the circumstances, but they had kept their eyes on the promises of God and the promiser, God, who was so emphatically, consistently, awesomely faithful. And they drew from that, and they, by drawing from that, it sustained them through the same kind of weirdness that crippled the other people and the majority that peeled off in fear, doubt, and unbelief, and it caused them to propel, and you could read about them. You're going to want to read Joshua chapter 1. You're going to want to read Joshua chapter 14 and read the spectacular results into their 85, 86, 87 years old. As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Caleb said, give me this hill country. Give me this mountain. They went to Hebron and they saw the giants. Now, here's what I want to say to you. It's all about, it's all about perspective. It's all about original orientation. Like, what have you planted in your heart? This is what Caleb said in Joshua chapter 14 and 15, and we don't have time to go to it. You'll read it. But he said, you know the word which the Lord spoke to us through the Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea. I knew the time, the place, and they took it personally. What God said, you're going to go up and possess a land. They held on to that through thick and thin by the grace of God. Again, if, I, if Joshua and Caleb were to come here and they'd say, listen, do not make us superheroes because we were not. Do not make us extraordinary uh, so that our characteristics are inaccessible because they're not inaccessible. We got them from the throne of God. We got them from God's goodness, and it's available to all you New Testament people because you, you even have a mediator, Jesus Christ. It, they, were, they would look at us and go, are you guys? You've got something so fantastic. You've got the Messiah himself, whoever lives to make intercession. He died for you. The Messiah died for you? What? Go for it, you guys, 2021. Go for it through this stupid pandemic. Get on, get on top of this. Trust God. Believe God. I've had to do funerals for people who died from COVID, and they're present with the Lord. They're all in victory. And then I've also watched people overcome it. I remember a lady who had cancer. She was wearing a beautiful, expensive wig. And then she took it off, and I think she straight iron, flat ironed it or something, and it got all messed up, I think, or she put it on the dashboard or something, and the heat messed it all up. So she just said, forget it. I'm just going to rock this. And she, you know, she just rocked her beaut elegant, beautiful, sort of a Cleopatra-looking bald head. I got so inspired by that and the humor of it. I mean, she's feeling crummy. You know, she's going through treatments. It's rough. There's all this uncertainty. There's this insecurity about it. And then she's just having this good laugh over her. Uh, she called her, her wig became roadkill. I thought, man, who can laugh through something like that? She conquered. She conquered. And uh, these guys conquered this unbelief. In fact, Caleb had to offset the, the toxicity by quieting the people before Moses. And I think I might be year beginning, January 1st, 2021, quieting the people quieting the voices, quieting the fear-producing bad report. Because nevertheless, the people, we've noticed in the last year, turbulent aspects concerning people issues in society, haven't we? We've noticed certain city issues, haven't we? Fortified city issues. 
They fortified cities with their own fortification to create their own cities. I mean, and then giants looming. How is, are all these variables going to be worked out? When you're a believer, you lift up your eyes and realize your redemption draws nigh. You realize in the midst of all the falsehood and all the weirdness that the, nevertheless, the firm foundation of the Lord stands. These guys said, nevertheless, the people, the giants, the cities, and we need to have a better nevertheless. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of the Lord stands. And since faith is the assurance of things hoped for, I'm going to maintain. That's why I preach the way I preach. This is why I preach what I preach. This is why without apology, I don't mind going back to the same chapter 50 million times. Because it's in there for a reason. It's not just to be passed over like Reader's Digest. I'm telling you, it's to be digested by the readers. And, and received and processed and acted upon. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means possess the land, for we will surely overcome it. But, here's this counterpoint of the unbelief. The men who had gone up with them said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. They were, they were conscious, they were looking at man. Joshua and Caleb were looking at God and his promises. And, here, and I want to show you. Here are 12 spies. And if you look on documentaries or you've ever been to the, to the Holy Land, they, had, they have hills and valleys and they have lots of desert and places where there's no foliage and where there's just some little sprigs of grass, some kind of stands of palm trees. There's the Dead Sea. There's the Jordan River. There's a beautiful Sea of Galilee. There's, there are mountains all around and, and there's stories to be told. There are beautiful cities, Haifa, Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Nazareth. There's some amazing places there, amazing people. I mean, it's gritty, beautiful, awesome. It's special. And in that time, these guys, 40 days, they're trucking out there with their sandals and they're, you know, they're, they're just kind of studying and they're looking. And then they get to a hill country area and then they start crawling on their hands and knees so they're not detected. I, I just watched... Uh, the Last of the Mohicans with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. That guy's amazing. And he played the part of a, of a kind of a scout guy. And that guy is a method actor. He won some awards, and he had to thank his wife because she, he said she's had to deal with his, like, 42, at to that point, characterizations. Like, she, he said he had to, she had to live with Abraham Lincoln, you know. It was funny. So he'd bring his character home. He was so into it, and he's so committed to it. Well, in this... I really believed he was this guy that can read the signs on the ground and he could, you know, see where the, the twigs broke and where, what, if there was a presence of danger and, you know, to protect himself. And he, he, you know, he survived through the whole movie. But I think about, when I see that kind of thing, it inspires me to think about these spies and how intense the environment was, how hostile the future was for these guys. And yet God, because God is God, he said, in spite of it, I'm going to see you through. Future's hostile. It's a crazy world. Yeah. Wars, rumors of wars, you know, pestilence, uh, one world government, and, uh, you know, cashless society. I mean, we are on a fast track. But also, my Bible says that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. So, and my, and my bias as a believer is, in spite of it all, nevertheless, the firm foundation of the Lord stands. Right? Yeah. This will get the depression out of you. This will help you to want to win and help you to press past just wanting to give up, longingly. 
You know, Paul even said, I long to go be with the Lord, which is better, but I'm going to remain here because it's a safeguard for you. It's important. I still have more to do. Every righteous believer I've gotten with at a moment in their life where it looked like it could have been curtains and God gave them an extension. I, I, I can think of several people I was with that got an extra two years, three years, five years, one year. And uh, they were like, I, I'm, I'm ready to go be with the Lord. They had such a joy like, I get to go be with the Lord. I said, well, there's more for you to do. And I remember one guy went, there's more for me to do. And, he, he, and, and I'm telling you, he lived for a couple more years into his 90s. And his death glorified God. John G. Lake said that when narcotics were introduced into, and then the hypodermic needle, it prevented Christians from having a Christian death. And I was trying to read, I read it today, and I was thinking, what does he mean? He died in 1935. So this must have been the 1920s when he wrote this. And I, he, he saw people just so medicated that they didn't, they didn't have that transitional moment. And I've been with people who had that transitional moment or refrained from, refrained from all the medication. And they would have visions of Jesus. And they would be worshiping God. And they'd almost be dead. Then they'd have their hands up going, praying in the spirit. And uh, this one particular guy, I visited him three straight days. I can't do this all the time, but I got so attached to these, this elegant couple. They got spirit-filled in the 1920s. They were married for 70-something years. They were elegant, and they actually loved our church. They loved the balance of things. They told me they were spirit-filled Christians from the 20s. They had seen a lot of things, and they said, you know, you, you, you are solid, and in, in we, we see why you're, how you're leading and why you're leading the way you're leading, and you also have definite open arm allowance for the supernatural. You want the miraculous. I said, I do. And, and, but we don't manufacture it, but we do, we are required to believe God for it, right? So one day he was just worshiping God and had tears in his eyes worshiping God. It wasn't sentimental, it was holy. One day he was sharing the gospel. People came in from California and they were, he talked to these people. It was evangelism day. One day was tongues day. He just prayed in the spirit. And, uh, I saw a doctor from either Sri Lanka or India, somewhere along that line. He asked permission to come in. He came in. He knelt by this elegant saint's bed, held his hands, burst into tears, and told him how much of a privilege it was to have him as a patient and that he, was, he could be his doctor. And he put his hand on him, and it was just, I mean, he led people to the Lord. When I saw that doctor, I just stood by the wall. I cried for three days with joy. And then he went home to be with the Lord. No, oh, no, he went home. Then he got home, and he was laying in bed. And I went to his, his condo. And uh, his wife, Mary Ellen, was there. And I, I went into the room, and he was laying there, had his mouth open. I thought, oh, man, he's died. So I went, Fred. And he went, oh, and he's not dead. <laughs> and he pulled the covers off, and he had tucked his dress shirt into his neatly ironed khakis with his belt, high-waisted belt all tight and his trim body, you know, and he popped out of bed all wiry, you know, pivoted off the bed, popped out of bed, went in and he celebrated Mary Ellen's birthday, picture with him eating cake, went home to be with the Lord that day, waited around for his wife's birthday. Mary Ellen wanted to be raptured with Fred. They dreamed because they were spirit-filled Christians and they understood the gathering up 
before the second coming, the gathering up in First Thessalonians and First Corinthians, there are different references all through the Bible about it. They wanted to be caught up together because they were sweethearts, man. And so I had to talk her out of wanting to die at the same time as him. It was a very hard conversation. She wasn't morbid. She wasn't weird. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, clingy. It, it was rooted in a really pure romantic place. But I said, Mary Ellen, there's just more for you to do. And she had to detach from him and say goodbye to this amazing bond. They were a great example in our church as a couple. Always in church together, dressed up. Come, they'd come in in faith. They'd be in faith. They'd worship God all the way into their later, later years. But here's what I want to say. The example of Caleb and Joshua is inspiring, isn't it? They, they believed God, and they got over into the promised land. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just finish with just this, but I want to I share this story from our own atmosphere with our own members. Mary Ellen got hit with something, and she, she eventually died from it, and she was listening to Bill Gaither uh, CDs, and she was prayerful, and, and I got over there, and her granddaughter, who had gotten saved here years before, was there and her grandson who hadn't gotten saved. And the grandson, get this, this, this underscores plotting, this underscores not giving up, this underscores showing up and staying with it over the long haul. Because the man took me aside and he said, based on how my grandmother and my grandfather are facing death, I am going to become a Christian. It was logical for him, it was not emotional. The girl, when she got saved, it was here at the altar she, she was really moved deeply, and she's still serving God. When she got saved, Fred turned to me and said, I've been believing God for this. She was 32 for 32 years. He got to see the salvation of the Lord come on his, his granddaughter in the context of an altar call at a church service. But then in the context of a deathbed, with this Joshua, Caleb kind of, we shall by all means possess the land, even in their death, they glorified God. And so I, I bring all this together to say, when they crawled over the, on their bellies and they saw the cities, the 10 spies went, oh man, look at Jericho, look at the size of those walls, look at the, their chariots, they've got chariots up on the top of the walls, riding chariots on the top, that's historical. Yeah. Look, at their, look at their fortification, look at the slots where they shoot the arrows, look at where they throw, can throw the spears and do all this stuff. We couldn't even penetrate those walls, look at the gates. Look at the people. Look how big the city is. It was one of the early, most developed cities of the time. Joshua and Caleb would go, man, look how big those walls are. Look how many people there are. Look at the fortification. It's going to be awesome to see how God pulls that one off. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They saw giants. They were like, giants! Ah! That's going to be on the Discovery Channel in a few thousand years. You know, that was a good joke for some people in here. <laughs> Conspiracy folks on the YouTube. <laughs> but they thought, yeah. Caleb said, man, I'm going to put a whipping on those giants. We, we learned that David killed Goliath, but you know how David learned how to kill giants? From Caleb. And then people learned from David, hey, you know, you kill giants, we can kill giants too. And we're supposed to learn that same thing, and that's what, in fact, we're learning tonight, right? Young people, David was 17 or so when he killed that giant. So don't think it's all projected way, way out there. 
You'll have victories. My wife and I, we had such wonderful prophetic blessings when we were kids before we got married. We had such wonderful experiences with God, I'm telling you. We would go out witnessing and God would open doors. He would protect us. He would give us favor. People would be saved. People would get healed. We'd go to church and we'd get so prayed up. We'd pray for the pastor. We'd come early and we'd believe God. He would be anointed and God would help him and God would pour out blessing on pour out his spirit on the meetings. It would be unusual. He would fill the worship. He'd fill our lungs with praise. He'd fill our thinking with vision and joy and encouragement. Push the unbelief and darkness out of our lives and give us focus for the rest of the week. Caleb quieted the people. I want to encourage you to quiet that the voicing of unbelief that tries to rear up. Not, not there's, it's not always everybody else. Sometimes we can, we can cause these things to trigger in our own lives. In fact, look what it says here. It says in verse 32, so they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we, look at this, became as grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Let's all stand up on our feet. At home, I want you to stand and, and agree with me. Listen, let's shake off the unbelief. Let's shake off the insecurity, the inferiority. Let's rouse ourselves January 1st, 2021. Let's look at Caleb's attitude he had a different spirit in him because he sought the Lord his God fully. No, it didn't mean he was the preeminent, pharisaical, awesome, most spiritual guru potentate of the crowd because that's actually unrealistic. I don't even, I'm wary of that kind of stuff. Yeah. This guy was a rugged individual that happened to love the Lord that when his wig got messed up, he decided just to go and rock his own bald head. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about right there. Full of faith. Everybody say full of faith. So this will help your family. This will help your kids. This will help your parents. Kids, don't just consider this like a routine. Realize you're being, something is embedded in you. Something's being fostered in you. Something is penetrating that in your life that's credible, that's authentic, that's real, that's of high, high value. This will stabilize you so that when other people are darting going 500 miles an hour in their little prop plane and you're only plodding along at 200, nevertheless, because you're not up and down, up and down, up and down, stopping at every state, you shall by all means possess the land. And those of you that have been through depression or you've had those kinds of situations, listen, man, let's trust God. You'll overcome that. He'll deliver you from the pit. He'll redeem your life from destruction. If you've had protracted battles, man, that's just a drag. But nevertheless, the firm foundation of the Lord stands. And we will fight the good fight of faith. And there might be somebody in here teetering or tottering. Last night I prayed and I kept getting those words. Some people might be just on the edge of just feeling so like you're languishing and you just feel like just giving up. And I want to tell you, cast not away your confidence, which has a great recompense of reward. Abraham did not stagger at the promises of God. He didn't totter. He continued to stand as crazy as the concept was that he would be a father of many nations. And the longer it went, the more it took for him just to, in hope against hope, he believed. 
when it became hopeless. So don't ever, don't ever give in, don't ever give up. Because look what happened to the bad report spies. If you wanna read chapter 14, it's the opposite of awesome, it's, it's awful. But it's awful to show us what to avoid and then what to take hold of. And let's believe God as we go through 2021 that we're gonna have strength, hope and joy, courage, only be strong and very courageous. There's hope and joy right in the middle of it. How many of you fix your hope on the living God? You have this hope as the anchor for your soul. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Our times are in God's hands and he's gonna make these things happen. Father, I thank you that today is a day of salvation. God, I know somebody's watching that has never surrendered their life to Jesus. And God, I'm asking that today you'll draw them, convict them, provide hope for them and bring them into the truth. I'm asking God that, that before this hour is up, they will have surrendered their life to Jesus. That whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus, the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus. God, I pray for people that are dealing with cancer, people that are dealing with sickness that's really wearing them down. I pray, God, you would rush in with supernatural healing power. I covet earnestly spiritual gifts, gifts of healing, gift of faith, working of miracles, those three power gifts, Lord. I'm asking God we covet those things. And I pray, God, you barrage all that unbelief and all that fear or augment their biblical faith and give them special faith, that, that gift of faith that's just supernatural, that's extraordinary, that when it happens, you know it, and it brings you through on such an amazing level. God, I thank you for the gift of faith, the working of miracles, the gifts of healing. God, I pray protection round about everybody here. I pray for the young ladies, that they will be not paranoid, but they will be very vigilant wherever they go. That when they were walking around in parking lots or down alleys or things like that, they are led by the Holy Spirit. They have angels around them. They are supernaturally wise. They have eyes popped out of the back of their heads. They have perception. They know when to go somewhere, when to say no. They know who to get with, who to refrain from. Young people too, young guys, everybody in this church. I pray protection over the St. Louis Family Church body and then all the, the people that are watching this in India and England or whatever. And I pray the touch of the Holy Spirit all around this planet in Jesus' name.